Today, Paul invites us to find Jesus again. Paul's argument for the incarnation is that we too become human. We sympathize with the doubter. We contemplate with the questioner. We listen deeply to the needs of our unhoused brother. We get lost in the life, the worries, the hopes, and the dreams of others, knowing that it is there that together we will all find Jesus again. That's the Reverend Dr. Audrey Warren, and today she shares a life-giving message of faith called Losing and Finding Jesus. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. This is guest host Dalton Rushing, and today on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Dr. Audrey Warren, pastor of First United Methodist Church of Miami, Florida. Audrey earned a bachelor's in religion from Florida Southern College, her Master of Divinity from Duke Divinity School, and her Doctor of Ministry degree from Wesley Theological Seminary. Before coming to First Church Miami, she served Branches United Methodist Church in Miami-Dade County and has served other churches in Florida, North Carolina, and South Africa. Audrey's written two books with Bishop Ken Carter, Fresh Expressions, A New Kind of Methodist Church for People Not in Church, and People Over Property, Scripture, Stories, and Strategies to Help People of Faith Reimagine Their Space. Audrey, welcome to Day One. Thanks, Dalton. First United Methodist Church of Miami, Florida has a very interesting story to tell as it reemerges in the heart of downtown Miami. You've just reopened your church in a new building, and you'll say more about this in your sermon, but tell us about what's been happening since you were appointed there. Yes. Thanks, Dalton. So this is my ninth year at First United Methodist Church of Miami. And um, very early on, we noticed that um, through a combination of cultural change, church change, that we needed to make a change Mm -hmm. um, at First Church and really reimagine our property. The church um, has been in Miami for 127 years, founded the same year as the city. And about every 40 years, when we looked back at the church history, it reimagined itself. Mm. So when I got there in 2015, it was about that time to say, who can we be in downtown Miami. And in order to do that, we had to give up some of our preferences, Mm -hmm. our old building and all of those things in order to redevelop our property and build a new facility and then also create um, a large endowment to help fund the church into perpetuity. So in many ways, you're a new church in a new building, but give us a sense of the history of the church and the spiritual DNA that still influences its ministry today. Yeah, our church continues to change, um, Mm -hmm. much like the city of Miami. I really say that I've served three churches in one church Mm -hmm. (laughs) over these nine years. And what is interesting is that the DNA has stayed the same. Um, We have the folks who helped create the building that we tore down and There are folks who are incredibly spiritually mature. Their main goal was that the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed in downtown Miami, no matter what form, what building, and that we continue to serve the unhoused in Miami. And the same folks continue to stay the same today. Um, It's been amazing to me over the nine years how people have not really been uber focused on tile color Mm -hmm. or carpets or bathrooms. 
but our main focus has been what's going to happen inside the building and who are we going to have inside of the building. We've been really focused on the people who will fill the space and how we activate it, not so much the exterior finishes. Hmm. I understand you've been birthing two babies in a way, the church building baby, of course, but you're also in the process of adopting a child from South Africa. How did that come about? Yeah, well, I am now 40 and coming up to this Mm. age, a huge desire of mine has always been to be a mom Mm. and to have children. I love children. I did part of my demon work on children and spirituality. And I believe that the gospel comes alive um, within children and their understanding of the gospel. And so I decided that I needed to make this happen. And I was actually at a lunch with a friend and told her that I was, you know, depressed. It was on Halloween. Mm. I should be dressing up a kid and (laughs) taking them around. And she told me very frankly, I'm so sick of hearing this from you. What are we going (laughs) to do about it? And over lunch, talked a bit about adoption. And I got in my car and heard from God, um, which has only happened a few times in my life. Um, You are going to adopt. You are going to adopt, and this is why you're going to South Africa. I was um, about to go to South Africa. I've had a 17-year relationship with the Methodist Church of Southern Africa Mm. and um, did not ever think about adopting from Mm. South Africa before. And so the process has begun, and I'm continuing to plan, so I'm I'm really sick of planning for this building and this baby. And I just want to play (laughs) in the new building, play with the new child. So there's a lot of, you know, unknowns um, in the future. And so it's required a lot of faith and patience and trust. And um, I've been able to learn that a lot from the experience of building this new building. Hmm. Audrey, you've worked with Bishop Ken Carter and a team of people to found the Florida Fresh Expressions Movement. Tell us about that movement and how it's playing out now at First Church Miami. Yes. So probably, I guess it was back in 2011, 2013, Bishop Carter and myself and a group of us um, helped birth Fresh Expressions Florida, which um, which is intent was to train leaders and churches to reach new people in new places in new ways. Mm-hmm. And so we're grateful for the work the conference continues to do. And although I'm not On the leadership right now, we continue to do this work at First Church Miami through our different chapels. That's really what we've called our Fresh Expression Ministries. So we have Yoga Chapel, Mm. Kayak Chapel, Brunch Chapel, Young Adult Chapel, um, and many others in the works um, in our new building. And so really these chapels have been to reach new people that may not find their way to church on Sunday. Um, Kayak Chapel may be their church, maybe mm-hmm. where they hear a word of hope, um, where they hear about this Christ person um, and come to faith in that way. We have a lot of people in Miami um, who are ex-Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of people in Miami who have been turned away by the church. And so these chapels provide a safe space for people to come in and experience God and um, really see me as their pastor or whoever might lead it. Mm. I've been able to lead Yoga Chapel, and a profound moment was when a young adult came to me and confessed that she had cheated on her boyfriend and wanted to know what she needs to do and how she needs to ask for forgiveness from God and from this boyfriend. And I thought, wow, I'm her pastor. Mm. She's never come on a Sunday, but she comes to Yoga Chapel weekly. Yeah. And I've become her pastor in this moment and through this ministry. And 
that moment really hit me about the power of fresh expressions and the way that it can change lives and really build a church and a community. Audrey, out of that work, you and Bishop Carter have published two very practical books for churches today, Fresh Expressions and People Over Property. How would you summarize your message in those books, and what do you hope that they can help churches accomplish today? Yeah, I think more and more COVID has forced us Hmm. into um, a season where we really have to figure out um, how we do ministry without property or in different means Hmm. and different ways within our properties. And so I think the main message of both is focus on the people. Hmm. Um, I think that our properties have a great ability to distract us. Hmm. And we love distractions (laughs) because the other work has become harder with our changing culture and changing times. And so I think the main message would be, let's focus again on the people and make that the main thing. And so that's what we hope to lead churches to accomplish, which might mean um, putting aside some preferences, Mm. which might mean um, taking our focus off of our property um, or refocusing resources um, to meet people where they are. Audrey, I understand you have a unique closing tagline when you preach. Would you talk to our listeners a little bit about that? Yes. I have been fascinated by news since I was a young child. At Mm. one point, I thought I might want to be a news reporter. And I love their sign-off messages, Mm. um, whether it's, you know, Al Roker on the Today Show and or our local um, NBC host. And so I thought, wow, it may be interesting for a preacher to also have a sign-off tagline. And an important part of the Lord's Prayer for me is Jesus's prayer, um, that things may be here on earth as Mm. they are in heaven. And so each sermon I close um, with that tagline um, Mm. in a different way, possibly. Um, Often I close with a call to action and then remind people that knowing that if they do this, a small piece of heaven is found on earth. And so that's become um, a purpose of mine, really, as a pastor and a person that I may make God's heaven known here on earth in very small ways or very big ways. But it's a desire of mine and um, has become an important part of of my preaching. Hmm. Your sermon for the second Sunday after the Epiphany focuses on the epistle lesson from 1 Corinthians 9. Would you read it for us? Yes. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me. And woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a wage. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my wage? Just this, that in my proclamation, I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel." For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might gain all the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to gain Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I may gain those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though I am not outside God's law, but I am within Christ's law so that I might gain those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a partner in it. Audrey, what stood out for you as you prepared your message on this passage? Well, 
In the work of Fresh Expressions, we are all about meeting people where they are. And so this passage has been one that has been close to my heart Mm. and has guided a lot of the work that I do within Fresh Expressions, the whole understanding of going to people and meeting them where they are, Mm. as Paul does, um, both with those at his time that are Jewish, that are Gentile, that are outside the law, that are inside the law, um, and being able to meet people where they are. And so I think at times we can look at this and wonder, gosh, is Paul diminishing the gospel Mm. to reach new people? Is Paul changing himself? But when you look at the full context of it, you see that in many ways what Paul is talking about is actually limiting himself to meet people where they are and becoming the incarnational Christ um, to each of these different different groups, um, and different people. Audrey, we look forward to hearing your message. It's called Losing and Finding Jesus. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you, Don. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program with Audrey Warren, with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110. In church life, we often focus on the theme of finding Jesus. Last Advent season at First United Methodist Church of Miami, we spent a lot of time talking about losing Jesus. That's right, we lost Jesus. Not in the spiritual sense, but in the very physical sense. In 2017, First Church Miami made a courageous decision to redevelop our property in downtown Miami. And selling our property, we would need to move our long-standing ministry with the unhoused off the property in a new location. The church desperately did not want to lose its identity as a church that serves the unhoused and wanted a reminder at the new church property in the middle of downtown Miami of our dedication to those living on the streets. The church immediately raised funds and applied to receive one of the iconic Homeless Jesus statues by Canadian sculptor Timothy Schmoltz. The sculptor only allows one per city, and there are roughly 40 around the world, including at the Vatican and Capernaum in Israel. We were selected as the site for the Miami Homeless Jesus. The statue is made of bronze and is a bench with a life-size man lying on it covered in a large cloth. At his feet, you can see two holes symbolizing the nails of the crucifixion and identifying the unhoused man as Jesus. Jesus laid outside our church on Biscayne Boulevard until it was time for construction to commence. We then moved Jesus with us to the historic Greater Bethel AME, where we worshipped and held our ministry with the unhoused. Jesus was then placed near the front of the church for about three years, until we began to move some things from Greater Bethel to another location. One day, I drove by the church and looked for Jesus, as I usually do, and... Jesus was gone. I quickly called our coordinator for our unhoused ministry. She also had not seen Jesus and thought Greater Bethel must have moved him as they saw us moving things around. I then called the trustees chair at Greater Bethel. Brother Wilson was also confused and thought we had taken Jesus to a new location. Jesus was lost. 
right before Christmas. This Jesus that was so discernibly given to us over other locations in Miami. This Jesus that cost a lot of money that people so generously donated. This Jesus that symbolized our incarnate Christ who came to be one of us, the weakest of us. This Jesus was lost. How far could he have gone? Who could have moved him? I felt like Mary at the tomb. They have taken the body and I don't know where they put it. I also did not know who they were in this scenario. So the search party began. We walked around the block, nothing. We searched the park next door, nothing. We searched the front parking lot, nothing. We searched the side parking lot, nothing. We searched the back parking lot, nothing. We were finally about to give up when we noticed something by our shower trailer where we provided showers to the unhoused four mornings a week. There were the regular picnic tables for people to sit and wait, and then blended in with the bushes propped up against the gated fence, there was Jesus. Some of our unhoused friends had moved him back to the shower so they had another bench to sit on and wait. Somehow this 600-pound bronze Jesus found a way to not simply be a showpiece of our service and care for the unhoused. But once again, Jesus became incarnate, waiting on a bench to take a shower. Somehow, all over again, Jesus became weak to the weak. We found Jesus. In our scripture from 1 Corinthians that we read today, we see Paul making this argument for the incarnation, and in doing so, finding the blessing and sharing in the gospel. Paul spends the 8th and ninth chapters of 1 Corinthians defending his approach to ministry. Paul cast a large net. He has not yet used fancy platforms like Mission Insight to discern his specific demographic and create a church model after their preferences. Paul's approach is more grassroots. He finds himself in different locations and there begins to know the people and then works to make the gospel applicable and known to them, even if this means limiting himself. In chapter 8, we can see that the question is arising among Christians in Corinth about meat. Yes, meat. All of the sudden, our 21st century potluck problems are justified. The question about the meat is that the Christians in Corinth are meeting people and converting people who eat meat that was offered up to idols at certain meals. The question Paul's followers have should not be strange to those of us who love meat. Paul's followers are at these meals. They don't believe in idols, nor do they care if the meat was offered to idols. Idol sacrifice and belief has no bearing on their meat-eating choices or desires. They just want to eat the meat, meat that was possibly somewhat rare during that time. Paul is the party pooper in these meat-eating parties. Paul realizes that although his followers and he could eat the meat without any spiritual belief or pressure or thoughts, their new followers may not eat meat as easily. The new followers may eat the meat and feel that they should still worship the idols or be tempted back into a way of life that was not the way of freedom of Jesus Christ. So Paul's suggestion is this. Although you can eat meat, restrain yourself. 
and don't eat it out of your compassion for the new Christians and your love of the gospel. Paul reminds them that they can eat the meat, but for the love of the new Christians, they can also go without it in order not to tempt the new followers. Paul invites them to limit themselves so that others may experience the freedom of Christ. Paul invites them to become weak. Paul invites them to incarnational ministry. This leads Paul to the words he writes in chapter 9 that many of us know. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might gain all the more. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to gain the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, so that I may gain those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, so that I might gain those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I may gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a partner in it. If one reads this text without the full context of chapters 8 and 9, we might believe Paul to be some kind of slimy salesman. We may doubt Paul's authenticity and question his ethics. Is Paul selling himself to sell the gospel? Paul's words brought to mind my godson's current plans for his lemonade stand. The standard first entrepreneurial move of most seven-year-olds. He is planning to call it the lemon drop stop. When he was first dreaming about the stand, he was full of ideas to bring the whole world lemonade, or at least his neighborhood. He would not just have lemonade, but lemonade with ice, lemonade with a drink umbrella, lemonade with a lemon drop inside, hence the name, lemonade with strawberries, lemonade with blueberries. His be-all lemonade to all people seemed like a great plan until his mother and his tea got involved. We explained to him that the overhead cost of so many options so early on would not make him any money. The goal was to make money, right? Or was it just to bring the world the best lemonade? Our purpose became a bit confusing. Not for Paul, though. The purpose was never confusing. Paul was not selling lemonade. Paul was not selling anything. And at the beginning of the scripture we read today, he writes, What then is my wage? Just this, that in my proclamation, I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. Paul is doing this ministry thing for free, so that in no way may a person think he is manipulating the gospel for his own gain. Paul's purpose is not piety. Paul's purpose is not perfection. Paul's purpose is clear. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, even at the expense of his own preferences. At a nice dinner, I am sure Paul would prefer to eat some very nice meat. Yet instead, Paul limits himself, becomes as one who may be spiritually weak in order to encourage their faith and help them resist the temptation to worship idols. Paul's purpose is to become like Christ so that he may be the hands and feet of Christ and then meet Christ and those for whom he is sharing the gospel. In Philippians, Paul writes of Christ's self-limiting measures for the same purpose. He writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul deeply understands that in order to share Jesus, we must do it Jesus's way, the incarnational way. Paul understands that this is not only the means to bring others to find Jesus, but to find Jesus and experience the gospel over and again ourselves. Paul's only reward is that he may share in the blessings of the gospel. Or as one version says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a partner in it. Paul's reward is to experience the gospel over and again, to experience over and again the good news and the power that it has to change the life of someone. This is how Paul finds Jesus over and again. Many of us listening today have already found Jesus, and Jesus has certainly found us. Through a friend, a pastor, a mentor, a mission trip, a conversation or small group, Jesus met us where we were. Through God's provenient grace, Jesus came to us and set us free, comforted us, made us alive again, changed us, encouraged us. Jesus found us, and we have found Jesus. We also, though, have a tendency to lose Jesus. Maybe not as bad as First Church Miami. I mean, who loses a 600-pound bronze Jesus? We do at times lose our purpose, and we forget at times why we do this thing called Jesus and church and life together. Maybe we do understand our purpose, and we have dedicated ourselves to it, but we have lost the joy of Jesus and the newness of the message. Today, Paul invites us to find Jesus again. Paul's argument for the incarnation is that we, too, become human. We sympathize with the doubter. We contemplate with the questioner. We listen deeply to the needs of our unhoused brother. And we cry and spend time with our single mother sister. We make dramatic and fun plans with the seven-year-old lemonade entrepreneur and help him understand economics in the way of Jesus. We take the time to learn another language and culture. We read the story of someone whose life has been different than our own. We get involved in a life that is not our own. We get lost in the life, the worries, the hopes, and the dreams of others, knowing that it is there that together we will all find Jesus again. If our life size, lifeless, 600-pound bronze Jesus idol to our service could somehow move himself to be incarnate with the unhoused men waiting for showers. We, too, can move with Paul, with Christ, with all who have gone before us to get into the shoes of another, to be incarnate, to be Jesus, knowing that when we do, we find Jesus again and a small piece of heaven finds its way to earth. Amen. Let us pray. Great God in heaven, we pray today that through us you may come to earth, that Jesus' hands and feet may be known through each of us. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Dr. Audrey Warren. 
senior pastor of First United Methodist Church of Miami, Florida. For a free transcript of her sermon, Losing and Finding Jesus, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Day One depends on the financial donations of our faithful listeners. Please consider supporting our unique ministry with a generous gift. We're grateful for your support. Again, our address is Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or donate online at dayone.org. And visit our easy-to-use website where you can listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the program archives, and much more. That's dayone.org. This is Dalton Rushing. Next week on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Dr. Michael Brown, church leader, speaker, and author, who currently serves as Interim Senior Minister of Mount Tabor United Methodist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. His sermon for Transfiguration Sunday is titled, To See Ourselves as Others See Us. Please join us next time on Day One. Day One preacher Audrey Warren offers some final reflections on her sermon today, Losing and Finding Jesus. And Audrey, you shared a powerful story about losing the church's 600-pound bronze sculpture that depicts Jesus as an unhoused man lying on a bench, and then finding it after a confusing search, he was in the midst of unhoused people in a nearby park. You said the sculpture that symbolizes our incarnate Christ, who came to be one of us, the weakest of us, was lost, but then he was found. That story brings home what Paul is teaching here in 1 Corinthians 9, where he makes an argument for Jesus' incarnation and in doing so finds the blessing in sharing the gospel. Would you say more about what it means for us today that the incarnate Jesus came to live and serve on this earth? Yes, I think that really, that's the purpose for all of us Mm. Christians um, and preachers um, is to really embody Christ. within our church, within our own lives. Um, As I quoted from Philippians, um, we see that Christ, although being God, left all the fanciness of being God to come and to be human with us. Mm. And so I really believe that's the central call for those of us that are Christians, to be at one with the people around us, whether that be an unhoused neighbor, Mm. whether that be a lonely coworker, um, Christ calls us really to get out of ourselves and um, to be with other people, learning their stories, taking those on. And I think in the midst of of doing that, we find Jesus again and the power of relationship um, and the power of unity. Mm-hmm. Um, we find we find Christ and our faith is renewed. In the chapter before this one, Paul encourages the Corinthians to become weak, to limit themselves when dealing with new Christians who were offended by eating meat offered to idols. He invites them to an incarnational ministry, you said, to be the hands and feet of Christ and then to meet Christ and those with whom he is sharing the gospel. How might we individually and as members of churches engage in this sort of incarnational ministry? I think there are many ways. First is just like I said in my sermon, being human and meeting Mm -hmm. people and hearing their story, particularly those that are outside of the church. And then I also think within the church, being able to look at our curriculums Mm -hmm. and the ways that we teach and, you know, 
I think those of us as Christians um, would probably just love continuing to have very high-level New Testament courses mm. and theology courses. Those of us that are Methodist are very familiar with Disciple, mm. which I did when I was in seventh grade and loved it. Wow. And we'd love to do Disciple 4 and 5 and Expert Disciple. Mm. But it's possible right now that God is calling us as the church um, to find a way and a means to preach the gospel um, that is not for our own benefit of learning mm. and growing, but actually for the benefit of those that are outside of the church. Church or who have yet to know um, the gospel of Christ. And so I think that's one of the ways m- many of us would prefer just showing up and being taught and becoming very theologically fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but possibly Christ is calling us to go on a little bit of a diet and um, to learn and get back to the basics of the gospel and how that's applicable for the people that are walking by our churches every day. Audrey, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I would hope that our listeners would take away that the way that we find Jesus again and and really the joy of Jesus is by serving mm. and by being the hands and feet of Christ for others. And that could be the coworker, that could be the sibling. Mm. That could be the seven-year-old that you really just are, you know, getting out of all the worries of work and your daily routine to spend mm. 30 minutes and plan out this lemonade stand with him mm. and get into another world. I think that um, being able to get out of our own worlds and out of our own heads um, and really enter into the story of another is where we find Jesus and where we can give Jesus. Well, Audrey Warren, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever.